come with me, we're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fantastic Cruising. I hope everybody had a wonderful Halloween. Maybe we should just do another Halloween episode. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. All right. But hey, listen, I hope everybody did have a fun and safe Halloween. Also, Inktober is over. Fantastic Inktober for me and some of you that were participating in that. Thank you to everybody who did participate in Fantastic Inktober. Don't forget to check out those fantastic drawings that are still over in the fantastic cruising community where can they find the fantastic cruising community kimbra on facebook that's right on facebook so if you're not a part of that already please go over to facebook answer a couple of simple questions and we will get you into that group so you can start participating and meeting all of the wonderful people who are a part of the community like tony dials who i believe is returning the day we're recording this from his first ever cruise. Yeah. So welcome back, Tony. And uh, also, I have a question, Kimbra. You grew up just a few hours away from where I grew up. Uh-huh. And where I grew up, which is St. Louis, Missouri, whenever we did trick-or-treating, there was a there was a thing, a custom, a tradition that I didn't realize was a St. Louis-specific thing. At least I think it's a St. Louis-specific thing now. And that is this. We had to work for our candy. Like, when we went trick-or-treating, you didn't just walk up to the door, knock on the door, ring the doorbell, and be like, trick-or-treat, and then they just gave you candy. It didn't work that way. You had to do something for your candy. What did you have to do? You had to tell a joke. Really? Yes, you had to tell a joke. I think that this is this happens in Des Moines, Iowa. From I tried to do a little research on it, but it happens in St. Louis, and some places, some houses... Not only did you have to tell a joke, but if they had heard your joke that night, they wouldn't give you candy. So you had to have an original joke. And when back back in the day, I mean, there might have been two, three hundred kids going through the neighborhood. If you got to that house late, chances are they heard your joke. Oh, is that what made you so funny? Oh, thank you. Looking? Oh, man. Okay. well, anyway, (laughs) I used to actually take a joke book with me. I would bring a joke book with me and I would have that and we would like have like a sort of a repertoire of jokes to use. But uh, but the way I found out about that is when I first moved to Florida and Halloween came around and we got a trick or treater and they were like, trick or treat. And I'm like, what's your joke? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, you need to tell me a joke. They're like, why would we tell you a joke? I'm like, that's how it works. You tell me a joke. I give you candy. They, It was really awkward. But anyway. I don't do that anymore. But we didn't get a single trick-or-treater. Nope. Well, unless you count as a trick-or-treater, you ate most of the candy. Hey, we only got one small bag, and, and I'm pretty sure most of it's still there. Uh, There's a lot still there. Okay. You didn't eat as much as what I'm making it sound like. No, because we are sort of dieting. Sort of. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing pretty good. Yeah. we got to prepare for our upcoming cruises that we've got. That's right. We've got one, the one in February. That's the closest one. And then the one way off, which is actually almost Halloween next year. Yeah. 
So I got to be ready for that. Speaking of that, you know, I heard some sad news about that cruise. What'd you hear? So that's on the Carnival Horizon. And uh, here's the sad news. So they have this place called the Havana Cabana area. And they've got like this special Havana Cabana pool area that has a really nice pool. It's got seats in the water. It's got some hot tubs. And it's always been exclusive to people staying in the Havana Cabana rooms until 7 p.m. And on some ships, I think, or some sailings, I think it would switch the time a little bit. But anyway, I heard that it is no longer going to be available to anyone who's not staying in the Havana Cabana area at all. Like, like it's not after 7 anybody can go. It's going to be like, nope, you just can't go there. Well, that's disappointing because I was kind of looking forward to that. I know, I know. And and here's the thing, though. Okay, so I don't spend too much time in that sort of area at night. Sometimes I will go to a hot tub at night. Like, that's kind of fun. But um, at first I was really bummed out. And then, and then it occurred to me that when I sailed on the Vista the last time, I wasn't in the Havana suite area. And I didn't really take advantage of it then. So... I, I guess it's probably not that big of a deal because I didn't use it. I probably wouldn't use it. But still, it's like you're taking something away from me. Right. It's like, what if I wanted to try it and choose for myself if I liked it or not? Right. I mean, it is a nice area. It's on the aft of the, of the uh, deck and everything. There, now, there are some other nice areas on the Vista-class ships that are pretty nice. But, yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. So, no Havana pool area on the next cruise. I'm sure there's other pools we can jump into. There there sure are. Now, speaking of our upcoming cruises, if you are curious about when and where we are going, go ahead and go over to the Shipmate app. It's a really fun app to track your cruises, and you can look at itineraries for cruises. There's a lot of information on there. And you can find me over there as Fantastic Cruise. I couldn't get the ing in there it wasn't enough it was too many letters so fantastic cruise friend me over there and you can you can see all the cruises i'll be going on and for kimbra what's your shipmate it's kimbrinos how do you spell that it's k-i-m-b-r-e-n-o-s so kimbrinos and you can you can figure out what we're doing friend us and uh yeah it's a lot of fun it's a really cool app if you haven't checked it out there's a lot you can do with it and it's pretty nifty yeah and i only have one shipmate so i need some more oh that's that's so tragic you only have one shipmate you is it me i was gonna say i hope it's me (laughs) yeah so go go find kimbrinos over on shipmate and if you haven't found me yet find me fantastic cruise shipmate now another thing that you can do to help us out is leave us a review and we are looking for feedback one of the best ways that you can leave that feedback is going over to itunes if you listen to this podcast on itunes or if you just have an itunes account that is super helpful you can leave star reviews and words which are really nice but really any kind of feedback that you can give us we would love to hear it let's jump into our kind of our main topic of the podcast it's it's sort of a a multi-part main topic and uh, it has to do first of all we're going to start it with a poll that i put on the fantastic cruising community a little while back just like a i think last week some at some point and i was asking if there are any real water creatures that people were afraid of you know kind of going with the the halloween momentum yeah and such so of course i put some suggestions in there and then i allowed people to add their own 
and we got some votes on it. So what I want to do is read through the votes and just some of the comments that people made, and then we're going to talk more about these different creatures. So what we can do is start at the bottom of the list and the ones that just got like one vote. I don't think any of them got no votes. Everyone got at least one vote. It looks like most of those were from Anne from Ship Shape with <laughs> Steven. She's apparently afraid of almost everything, but not the bottom one on the list, which actually is just tied with a bunch of other ones. And that was submitted by Sue from Australia. And she says water itself. Now, look, Sue, I don't know. You know, she's, she, you're in Australia. I don't know what they consider creatures over there. Yeah, I do. I know a lot about creatures in Australia. Water ain't one of them, but I take your point, fair point, and maybe in a way that makes more sense than some of the other ones. So we'll say water itself made the list. I bet she's really dehydrated. Ho, ho, ho. That would be bad. That would be pretty bad. Now, uh, some other ones that just got one vote. Sea urchin, stonefish, octopus. Scorpion fish, and those are all the the one votes. Now we'll we'll go up to some that got a few more votes, and that would be the more specifically added by Mike blue ringed octopus, which is the only octopus anybody should possibly be a little bit afraid of. But even those, we're going to talk more about them in, in a little bit. Now I I put in the answer cone snail, but it auto corrected to cum snail, so it's like I don't know cone. Anyway, cone snails are a thing, and a couple people put those down there. Lionfish is on the list. That is a scary one. Maybe not for the reason that most people think, but lionfish are kind of scary. Uh, Barracuda. Barracuda, I was happy to see, only got a couple votes. Yeah. Because Barracuda really are nothing to, to worry about. Again, we'll talk more about that in a bit here. Now, moving on to a few more. Uh, we've got Fire Coral, which... I think should be higher on people's list of things that could actually be something they would need to be concerned about as far as like personal safety, but not terribly threatening. Stingrays also, I think got about three votes for the, for these guys, not too bad. And then somebody added, Oh, that was me. Alligator crocodile. I didn't add it right away, but I did put them in there. I was thinking cruise animals. So I was thinking more saltwater. Now there are crocodiles in saltwater. So I guess it should definitely apply um, so alligator and crocodile got, I think, about five votes. And then Chad added lamprey. Do you know what a lamprey is? Um, I didn't. <laughs> but that picture that he posted was pretty creepy looking. They are very, very creepy. And, and they're so creepy that they got a good five votes there. Moray eel came in with about six votes. It's a moray. That's a moray. And uh, then electric eel... Electric eel got eight votes. We're going to talk about these eels, see what eels you. Jellyfish got, let's see, 9, 10, 11, 12 votes there for the jellyfish. Portuguese man of war, which is not the same as jellyfish, got quite a bit more than that. Actually, it looks like they came in with about 19. So we went from 9 to 19. Sea snake. Now, when we talk about this, this one really surprised me. But Sea Snake got, let's see, 18, 19, 20, 21 votes for Sea Snake. And then, of course, what would be number one? But, of course, Sharks. Sharks got 26 votes. That's a big jump from 
yeah. the top to the bottom. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, uh, so thank you everybody that participated in this poll. And there were some comments left, and some of them I thought were pretty interesting. By the way, I didn't vote for any of these because although I do respect them and and uh, give them space in some cases, I'm not technically afraid of them and i'm not saying that because i'm like a tough guy because i'm not i'm like i'm afraid of lots of things but uh but not these animals i just i understand that if i know what they are and what they do i can avoid their dangerous properties and be fine i didn't vote either you didn't vote either you're not afraid of any of these i'm not i'm not spiders weren't on the list or you would have put that in them down. <laughs> well yeah but i'm not afraid of any how of do these you feel about either? sea spiders they're not technically spiders, but they aren't. They're they're in the same bigger group. I don't really want to see any spiders. <laughs> I see what you did there. Now, uh, <laughs> my mom actually tuned in on this, and she said that her son made her watch Jaws too many times when he was a kid. That would be me. And um, yeah, come on, mom. I, did I make you watch it that much? I don't remember making her watch it that much. I did see it when I was a small child at the theater. That's going to date me a little bit there. But I was very young. I was like four years old or something when that movie came out. So, all right. And then I, uh, let's see, I said Cone Snail. Yeah, it should have been Cone Snail. Stupid autocorrect. Then Chad put that picture of the lamprey and said, it's the scariest fish in the world. Now, I want to address some of these as we go. We'll get back to sharks because obviously that's a big one. But the lamprey is terrifying looking, as you said. But in reality, not really anything that anyone needs to be worried about. Lampreys, if you're not sure what they look like and you don't want to Google them, picture like a big, huge, sort of wormy fish looking thing with just a open, toothy mouth at the at the top of the animal's body. They're they really are kind of kind of creepy looking and they will suck onto a fish latch onto like a fish and they're sort of parasitic so they don't typically attack people only under weird circumstances and even if they do you just pull it off it it doesn't feel good i'm sure but it's not like life threatening or anything like that so yes chad i agree with you that they are creepy looking maybe the scariest looking fish in the world but not actually scary now, Lauren said alligators because the rivers have terrible visibility. So if you are in an area that has crocodiles or alligators, especially if you're cruising over in, say, Australia or somewhere in the Pacific over there where saltwater crocodiles are, it's definitely an animal that you want to be careful about if you're in their habitat. Uh, there are American crocodiles in the Caribbean that have attacked people. It's definitely a thing that happens. Not typically in any places where cruisers are, but there are instances like that. And if you go to like Belize, I did the river tour and you can see where they have like little mesh fences where the people go down and still do their laundry in the river. And they have those little mesh things around there because there are crocodiles in the river. So I think that can also apply to people that are sailing out of like Florida. So think about people that sail out of Tampa. They might come visit Tampa first so yeah alligators might not happen while you're on the cruise but it could happen before or after you're on the cruise absolutely now the good news about alligators is alligator attacks on humans are extraordinarily rare but they have occurred and the thing i would tell you about any crocodilian species is it's really important not to feed them because this is how we turn an animal that would normally not be dangerous into a very dangerous animal they sort of learn 
that uh, humans go along with food and then they can kind of make a mistake. There are crocodiles, though, like the saltwater crocodiles in Australia, the Nile crocodiles in Africa, that will just straight up eat you like it's not a mistake at all. And even the American crocodiles in certain areas can be a little bit of a problem. So just know what's around there. One thing I don't want to do with this list is I don't want to make people's fears worse. I'm hoping they have the opposite effect, but I feel like saying that there are crocodiles that will straight up eat you might... Might not do that. But look, if you're in Australia, um, yes, you should not. They will eat you. So you should have that respect or fear if you're over there. Now, let's see. Dale said jellyfish because they hurt. He respects them and tries to avoid them. Jellies are definitely something we're going to talk about in more detail. Absolutely. Uh, Brian said he chose sharks, but only bull sharks due to poor visibility where they hunt and tiger sharks because they seem aggressive and humans are fair game. Sharks in general are very cool. He's dove with them in the Bahamas and it's one of his favorite dive experiences. So, yeah, Brian, I mean, in the Caribbean, shark attacks are nearly um, unheard of. There is there is one and somebody else brought that one up. But they're extraordinarily rare, and that is probably mostly because of the good visibility. When shark attacks do happen, it's usually in poor visibility, and sharks probably making mistakes. They're not like the couple crocodile species that just want to eat you. They are, they're not looking for you as a food source. But we'll probably talk a little bit more about sharks as we go on. And then Liz said that she got stung by a Portuguese man of war. If you're listening over in Oz, those are the blue bottles. And uh, she said that she got stung in Hawaii and it was no joke. She'd rather get bitten by a shark. And they do have a very painful sting. We're going to talk more about those as well. Kimber, have you ever seen like a, a jelly in the wild or a Portuguese man of war in the wild? I've not. I've se- Well, I've seen a dead one. Yeah. A dead jelly. Yeah, we saw those on your birthday last year, yep. right? Just the just the mesoglia stuff from moon jellies. Yep. But um, yeah, I, I have been stung multiple times by jellies. I have not been stung by, by a Portuguese man of war, but I have seen them dead on the beach. I've not seen one live in the water. Well, again, we're going to get more into that in a, in a bit. Now, Richard posted a uh, shark attack that happened in St. Pete Beach a while back. And it's kind of funny because... Well, I mean, the shark attack's not funny, but it was an elderly person, and, and the the little snippet link has a picture of Queen Elizabeth II, so I don't know. <laughs> she was not attacked by a shark, as far as I am aware. But, yeah, I mean, shark attacks are pretty rare in Florida as far as, like, dangerous ones. This was a fatal one, but uh, they do happen on occasion. And then James said he almost got stung by a Portuguese man of war. He's kind of re- responding to Liz there, but he was warned about it by his brother. And then we got David from Oz, David and Sue. They are a, they're a pair. And uh, he's talking about over in Oz. Of course, everybody knows, you know, everything in Australia is out to kill you, that sort of thing. I think there's a bit of exaggeration there, but there certainly are some dangerous things over there. Now, David says he's he's been body surfing or he used to body surf when he was younger and he's still a little bit when he was older and he never really thought about it too much. He would swim out to for uh, for 100 meters or so offshore and bob around, um, probably akin to the last crunchy bread roll on the ship buffet waiting to get taken. <laughs> I don't know. I think Aussies just have it in their blood. Like they're just like this is what we're used to. It just have it's just part of life. And uh, he, he even said it was kind of like a rite of passage or something like that. He actually mentioned the two English holidayers got bit though right around this time. So yeah, shark attacks are a real threat. 
in certain places more so than others. But again, we're going to talk about the statistics of that a little bit and if how much you really need to worry about that, especially in the Caribbean. Now, Carrie posted something that I did want to bring attention to. She said her daughters would love to go snorkel in, in Nassau, but she's a little bit nervous about the shark attack that happened several months ago. So let's talk about that for a second. Do you remember that shark attack that she's talking about? I do remember it. It was a little fishy. Oh, it was a little fishy. And that's not not to make light of a tragic situation, but basically there was a there was a young lady who was killed by tiger sharks and it was a really strange occurrence and I haven't seen any follow-up on that, but at the time there was a lot of speculation about whether those sharks had been fed or there was, I don't know, they were on some sort of swimming with pigs sort of thing. or I don't know, there was a lot of conflicting data, and I don't know, I haven't, I haven't followed up to see if there was anything that came out of it. But it was an anomaly, so I would say don't worry about that. If you're in the Caribbean, you don't need to worry about shark attacks. What do you think? Did that scare you from snorkeling in the Caribbean? Nope. I no. jumped in. You, you've gone, you, but you haven't gone since then, have you? Oh, no, I guess I haven't been since then. But you would still go? Absolutely. That's good. That's good. Otherwise, we'd have some issues there. But, yeah, so, look, I mean, not going snorkeling in the Caribbean would be akin to being afraid because you heard somebody fell and died on a by hitting their head on a toilet seat and then not going to the toilet. Like, it's actually, statistically, you're more likely to fall and die from toilet seat than you are from shark attack. That's a crappy statistic, right? Oh, Matt. <laughs> it stinks. Anyway, don't <laughs> worry about the sharks. That's all I'm trying to say. Don't worry about the sharks. At least not there. I mean, if you're in South Africa surfing, maybe we'll get into sharks a little bit, but not in that way. Anyway, uh, York said anything in the water that looks like a snake or an eel. Okay, we had a lot of responses to different eels and sea snakes came in surprisingly high up. And then Jody says sharks, not afraid of all sharks, would really wouldn't really not like to run into a great white tiger or bull shark while diving. However, Jody would dive while in a cage with those animals. I would love to see any of those species of shark while diving. Uh, I don't know if I would. It depends on the circumstances whether I would need to be in a cage or not. Anne says she's just scared of everything but fascinated by all of it. Well, I'm glad you're at least fascinated by it and not just, not just afraid of it. And then here's Sue's uh, explanation for being uh, water being the answer that she gave. She said, I am no water baby, so getting me to get go in would be frightening enough. And she says even poor David had to go do the underwater submarine tour on his own. So she is just not, not at peace with the water. And finally, Adrian says, jellyfish and Portuguese man of war, I hear the sting hurts all right well that's a lot but let's break it down okay so first of all i i'd like i said i want to make sure that uh, everybody is coming away from this with less fear not more fear and, and i feel like the biggest way to conquer fear is through education knowledge right because we're afraid of things we don't understand or things like that so maybe sometimes we're also afraid of things with huge teeth but that's that's a whole nother thing like vampires like vampires yeah anyway let me just knock a few of these off the list for you right now now not all these had a lot of votes but um, let me just go through my list here that i have barracudas 
If you are afraid of barracudas, I have good news for you. You really don't need to be unless you are feeding them by hand or by mouth. And yes, that is a thing that happened. There was a guy in the Keys who used to do like a dive show where he would feed this barracuda. He'd put the fish in his mouth. The barracuda would come over and take it out of his mouth. And one day the barracuda missed and got the top of his head. So, um, I mean, he survived, but just didn't look the same after that. So, yeah, so don't feed barracuda and you don't have anything to worry about with them. Um, if you are spear fishing or something, then maybe a little bit of extra precaution should be taken if you have something shiny by you. But if you're just snorkeling, scuba diving, I, I see barracuda all the time. Nothing to be worried about. The lamprey we covered, not anything to be concerned about, although uh, they are an invasive species and they are wreaking havoc on the native fish population, a lot of that's commercial fish. So in a way, maybe that's more to fear than actually them themselves. And they do look terrifying. Uh, alligators and crocodiles, I kind of talked about a little bit. Here's one that you don't need to worry about at all. Electric eels. Are you afraid of electric eels? I don't think I'll ever come across one. No, not unless you are in the Amazon River. Because electric eels, well, first of all, they're not actually eels. I think I mentioned that in our moray that's uh, right. They're knife fish. They're knife fish. And That's, they're not knives either. They are not knives. But they uh, they live in, in the Amazon River. So you really don't have to worry about it. Now, there was a movie or two that came out that showed moray eels as being electric. And this has really kind of made a lot of frustration and stuff for, for educators because moray eels are not electric at all. So you don't have to worry about moray eels either. And I know there was a movie called The Deep that came out based off a Peter Benchley book. And there was like a moray eel and it grabbed somebody's arm and pulled them under the skin. That doesn't happen. Look, I can tell you from staring at moray eels multiple times and from even trying to coax a moray eel in, in an aquarium, not the aquarium where I work, to bite me just because I was curious and it wouldn't do it. So these are not aggressive animals. You don't have to worry about moray eels, not even a little bit. Just leave them alone. They'll leave you alone. So you can knock those off of your list. There are some other ones, though, that you may want to be a little bit more concerned about. Let's talk about sea snakes, because that was like the number two thing that people were afraid of. And, and I have some good news for you there, too. If you are sailing in the Caribbean, there are no sea snakes. You don't have to worry about them. They're all in the Pacific Ocean, Indian Ocean. Now, if you're over there, yes, there are sea snakes. You still don't need to worry about them because sea snakes are not aggressive at all. And you'd have to really, really pester a sea snake for it to bite you. So not to be concerned about. Now, they do have extremely toxic venom. So in the highly unlikely event that you are bitten by a sea snake, please seek medical help immediately. But that is nearly impossible for that to actually happen. So don't don't worry about that. Now, the rest of the things on the list, I think, are all things that might pose a legitimate concern. And what I want to do now is I want to switch gears a little bit and I want to talk about some preventative things you can do to keep from getting stung or bitten by these animals. And then also some medical treatments you can use if you are stung or bitten by one of these animals. I do want to give credit to Scott, who early on with this podcast posted this in Facebook and said something about, you know, hey, Matt, will you cover marine first aid? And, and I told him at the time, 
that that would be like a whole episode. Well, guess what, Scott? This is your episode. So thank you for the suggestion. I also want to make it very, very, very clear that I am not a doctor. And any of the things that I tell you, these are based on scientific things that I've researched as far as how to take care of injuries. But at the same time, I want you to know that if you are ever suffering any sort of injury, whether it's from a marine creature or whatever, please, if you feel at all uncomfortable with the situation, seek professional medical help right away. So let me just get that out of the way. So do what Matt says. He knows everything. No, that's not exact. That's not at all what I said. That's the opposite of what I said. All right. So let's see what we can do. Let's start with prevention because prevention is the best thing. You like it's better to prevent these things from happening than have to treat them. So how do you prevent? How do you prevent being stung by jellyfish or Portuguese man of war blue bottles? Don't touch them. Don't touch them. That's a good. That's good advice. For a lot of these animals, most of the animals here, if you don't touch them, they won't touch you. They're very fair in that regard. Now, sometimes you might accidentally touch one of these animals, and that's when you're going to find yourself in trouble. So do you know of anything, Kimber, that you could do to keep from being stung by a jelly or a man of war? I don't. Well, I have some good news for you. There are things you can do to prevent being stung by jellies. And they're the same things that I would recommend that you do to prevent getting sunburn. Sunblock? No. Sunblock is bad for coral reefs, so I try and avoid it as much as possible. But what I do instead is I wear rash guards. And if you are wearing just a thin layer of material, then you will be able to stave off even the most deadly of jellies out there which, by the way, are really teeny tiny things called irukandji for the most part. But anyway, yes, the way that jellies work is that they have these little bitty stinging cells called nematocysts. So if you touch one or it touches you with one of its tentacles, what's actually happening is it's like a little pouch filled with venom and a little harpoon inside, and there's a little trigger on it. And so the touch of your skin on this little cell makes it react, the harpoon shoots out, bringing the venom with it, and then it injects into your skin. So these are very, they're microscopic. So you really can usually not even see them with just your plain eye. So if you're wearing a very thin layer, even like pantyhose will, will do it. So they can't penetrate that, and that keeps you safe from these animals. So that's an easy way to stay safe. Well, I'm going to start wearing pantyhose when I <laughs> go in the water then. They do make these things called skins, which are really thin nylon kind of wetsuit looking things that you can wear. Now, to be honest with you, it's not a huge concern. Again, in the Caribbean, we don't have a lot of very toxic species. We do have the blue bottles, the Portuguese man of war, which are not actually jellyfish, but they're very close relatives. And we do occasionally get some of the box jellies. I saw one in Grand Cayman, and they will give you a very painful sting. But we don't have the sea wasps and the urukanji, at least not yet, that they have over in Oz, which can be much more uh, life-threatening and at the very least a lot more painful in general. Although Portuguese Man of War can give you a wallop, quite the wallop. 
A wallop. A wallop. I just want to say a wallop. That seems like an Australian word, doesn't it? It's kind of like wallaby. Wallaby. You know those blue bottles will give you a wallop? Is that, I don't know, Sue, David, is that is that an Australian thing? I don't know. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you want to avoid being stung by jellies, just wear a thin layer of clothing. Another thing you could do is if you see signs warning you that there are jellies present, a lot of places where there are super toxic jellies, they will let you know. Or if you see, start to see a bunch of jellies, then you know just to get out of the water and consider swimming there another day. Now, at the same time, I have been many places where there were jelly blooms, which is called a smack, a smack of jellies, and they were not very toxic species. They weren't, their venom wasn't very potent or they didn't have the, the means to transfer to you. And I have swam through these smacks without a wallop. <laughs> right through the smack without a wallop. So, you know, just because you see a jelly doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. Have you ever been stung by a jellyfish? I've never seen a jelly that's not oh, that's right. in an aquarium. Yeah. That's right. Now, we actually have some jellies at the aquarium where we work that you can touch. And they're moon jellies, but they're not from around these parts. They're not the moon jellies you get down here. The moon jellies down here will give you a little mild sting. But the ones up north don't have the means to sting you. So that's why you see those sometimes in aquariums. I have been stung by jellies probably four or five times at least. And um, I've been stung in the face more than anywhere else because that's where my face usually is, is in the water. <laughs> it gets stung. <laughs> but the worst one I ever got was a, it was called a warty jelly and it was in Belize. Normally when I've been stung, basically it, it hurts. You know, you've been stung. It's like kind of like the ones, most of the ones I've been stung by, it's like a mild bee or wasp sting, but it's not just one sting. It's usually like a little wherever the tentacle hits you. And then you get little red welts and within like 15 minutes they're they're gone. The one I got hit by in Belize, the warty jelly, that sucker hurt. So that that was pretty painful that uh, that it didn't like freak me out or anything, but it like it was definitely a different kind of experience. And it welted up, and those welts lasted for a couple of hours. Now, I know if you get hit by one of those Portuguese man-of-war, it's supposed to be even more painful than that, and it'll last a little bit longer. But Now, Kimbra, let's say that you are stung by one of these jelly species. Or, Ouch! Yeah, or more likely, let's say that I'm stung by one of these jelly species. Uh, how do you treat it? Do you know? Leave you in the water and run away? That is not the correct answer. Pee on it. No. <laughs> I'm just going to say this right now. None of the remedies for any of these marine creatures is peeing on the wound. Okay? Don't do that unless you're just weird and into that. But don't do that to try and help the injury because it's not, it's not going to do you any good. Okay? So for jellies and Portuguese man-of-war, there has been a lot of controversy over the years and some people think that certain species need to be treated differently. There's still a little bit of that going on, but there has been some pretty hardcore science done in the last couple of years, especially over in Hawaii and uh, Ireland, actually, looking at how to actually treat a jelly sting or a blue bottle Portuguese man of war sting. And it turns out that the consensus is the best way to treat it is with vinegar and this, the strongest vinegar that you can find. And you want to pour that vinegar on there. The reason is 
it will deactivate those nematocyst cells, or it'll at least start to deactivate them. Once you've soaked it in vinegar for a little bit, then what you want to do after that is gently apply heat. And the way to do that is with hot water. Okay, what you don't want to do is you do not want to put any kind of pressure on the wound. You don't want to put fresh water on there because sometimes fresh water will cause nematocyst cells to fire that hadn't fired already. So you're actually stinging the person even more. Seawater may do that, or even if it doesn't do that, it may just spread the tentacles that are still in there that haven't, where the cells haven't activated. So most people will say not to use seawater, although some still say to use seawater just to wash the tentacles off. Uh, one thing that sometimes people will recommend is using like a credit card or something to scrape the tentacles off. But the researchers found that a lot of times that will just cause those little nematocysts to fire and you'll end up getting stung even worse. So your best bet is vinegar and then hot water for the pain and then just like ibuprofen and stuff like that to just to, to feel better afterwards. Um, you can, once you've done the vinegar, take a tweezers or something and try and very carefully pull the tentacles off if they're still like draped over. Every time I've been stung, like the jelly went away and took its tentacles with it. I've never had them stay stuck to me, so I don't know how that works exactly, but apparently it's a thing that can happen. So, you know, get those tentacles off you after you do the vinegar. Now, since we are talking about jellies and Portuguese man-o-war, let's just stay within that group of animals, which are called nidarians, and they all have those stinging cells in common. And the other ones that you may have to worry about are one would be sea anemones you know like nemo's home anemone anemone yes but you don't really have to worry about those for the most part unless you're like in the philippines there's an anemone over there called a flower anemone that uh apparently has quite a wallop see how i did that mm -hmm. work that in there again but our anemones over in the caribbean and most anemones throughout the world are not very stingy. They do have nematocyst cells, but most of them you wouldn't feel at all. Maybe it might feel a little sticky. Uh, there are a few that might give you a tingly sensation, but that's it. So not too much to worry about from anemones. Fire coral, however, is a whole nother thing. Now fire coral, not actually coral, but it is a close relative of real coral, and it gets the name fire coral because it is actually on fire. It's on fire in the water? No, I'm just kidding. It's not on fire at all, but it does have nematocyst cells and it can sting the wallop out of you. No, it just gives you, a, it's lots of wallops. It's walloping. And this is the thing that if I was going to check off afraid of something on the list, this is the one I probably would have checked off simply because I have been hurt by fire coral more than any other marine life. And you see it everywhere. Basically, when you see something that looks like coral and it can be different shapes, it's kind of a mustardy yellow color and it just encrusts whatever is around it. It might be coral that was there that it's encrusting. It could be the side of rocks. It could be the side of a, of a shipwreck. It could be just about anything. It's super, super common. Now, if you touch this stuff, even sometimes if it's just in the water and you're sensitive, you might get a sting. And it's not like the worst sting ever, but it doesn't feel good. And that sting will last for sometimes a couple days. 
I've had it last before it really goes away completely. It's made my, like I've got it on my finger and it kind of made a little numbness on the finger. So be careful because if you are snorkeling or scuba diving in most of the places in the Caribbean, you will probably see fire coral and you shouldn't touch coral ever, even if it's real coral, because you will hurt it. You should be, it should be more afraid of you than you should be of it. But fire coral will definitely give you a what? A wallop. A wallop. Now, the thing about fire coral is that it's, it's like most of the milder jellies. You probably don't need to treat it with anything at all. Like you don't probably need to bust out the vinegar unless somebody's just having a really bad reaction to it. Uh, it is possible for somebody to have an allergic reaction to some of these things, which is why I made that statement in the beginning about if you are having more severe symptoms, don't go by what Matt says on Fantastic Cruising. Please consult a professional physician so that you can get treated with whatever needs to be done. But normally, that's not going to be the case. Normally, it's just going to be irritating. Another irritating thing is sea lice. And sea lice are actually little baby jellies. And they're, they can be in the water. I've never experienced them, but what happens is they kind of get into the space between like your swimming suit and your body. And then you get stung like a bunch of times. And it turns out feeling like sort of a, a really itchy, painful rash. And so that's, that's called, they call that sea lice, but it's actually not lice. It's actually little jellies, little baby jellies. Baby Okay. Okay. Anyway, so that's those. Um, Here's another thing that you probably don't need to worry about too much, but you do need to be a little bit cautious of, and those are sea urchins. Have you seen urchins? Not in the wild. No, never in the wild? Nope. So urchins come in many shapes and sizes. There are pencil urchins with thick spines, and there are variegated urchins which have little short stubby spines, but there are also sea urchins that have really long, sharp, pointy spines. And some of them even have some chemical stuff going on on those spines that will make those sharp pointy things a little bit worse than just a mere sharp pointy thing. So if you are on a healthy coral reef, you will likely see the long spine sea urchin, which is a really good thing for that coral reef because what these animals do is they eat the algae that grows on the rocks which allows new baby coral pops, baby coral pops, to form and grow on the on the rock. So they're really important. One of the things that happened in the Florida Keys is in the 80s, a lot of our diadema, our long spiny urchins, they got wiped out by a disease. And that is one of the reasons why our Florida Keys coral reef system is in such terrible condition. So be happy when you see the urchins. Get it? See the urchins? But don't step on them and definitely don't sit on them. If you do happen to do that, this is going to be difficult. But what you want to try and do is remain calm. I know that's easier said than done when a long spine is sticking in your bum. But what you want to try and do is have somebody very carefully try and remove it because those little spines can be quite brittle. And the last thing you need is to have a sea urchin spine break off in your bottom. That does not sound pleasant. No, I don't think it would be pleasant at all. <laughs> but it could happen. So get this, get the little pointy things out if you can. But just the best thing is just to prevent it by watching where you're stepping. If you're in a coral reef area, this will help with fire coral too. The preventative thing is to just make sure that you are not 
resting on the bottom, standing on the bottom, kneeling on the bottom, touching the bottom, and then you're not going to get anything stuck in your bottom or anywhere else for that matter. Sea urchins. Now, most of the sea urchins that I see outside of the coral reef are ones that will not hurt you at all. Like there is one that is called the, uh, I think it's called the sea egg or something like that. It looks like the variegated sea urchin. They're white and they have little stumpy spines and they pick up debris and they cover themselves with it to camouflage themselves. We have ones in Florida called variegated, which are kind of that purplish pink color that do the same thing. And occasionally I will see some other sea urchin species that most of them though don't have super sharp or long spines so they're not anything you really need to worry about a whole lot. So that covers two big groups of animals. The nadarians, which are your corals and jellies and Portuguese man-of-war and sea anemones. And then the echinoderms, which are your sea stars and sea urchins. There are no sea stars you need to worry about in the Caribbean or in most cruise ports that I know of, at least. Let's switch to the mollusks. Do you like mollusks? Sure. <laughs> mollusks are things like snails, slugs. There are things like clams and mussels and oysters. And of course, octopus and squid. Now here's the deal. You don't have to worry about octopus and squid for the most part. Some octopus will give you a bite. Some squid could too if you were really grabbing them. But for the most part, they're going to leave you alone. There is one exception to that rule. And that is not the giant squid or the colossal squid, contrary to what many children and people that watch certain cable networks may think. Those animals are in deep water. You're not going to see them. And even if you did, you are not going to be bothered by these animals. The one that you do need to worry about is called the blue ringed octopus. And they are adorable little octopi, octopuses. I'm supposed to say octopuses, octopuses. right? Octopuses. Octopuses. And they, they only get about the size of, I don't know, a little bit bigger than a golf ball. And they're beautiful animals. They live on mostly the western coast of Oz, of Australia. And people see them at the beach and they pick them up because of these cute little octopus and they get bit. Sometimes they don't even realize they've been bitten because their bite is typically not very painful, but their venom is super toxic. So toxic, in fact, that it can just paralyze their respiratory system and cause them to suffocate. That's one of the worst things that can happen to you with an octopus. That sounds awful. It is awful, yeah. So if you see the cute little octopus in Australia, uh, don't touch it. Australia sounds like a really dangerous place to be in the water. I mean, it can be, but you just got to know the rules. You just got to follow the rules and uh, make sure that, that you're not doing anything that could get you into danger. Now, another mollusk that you want to be aware of, and again, not an issue in the Caribbean, but an issue in certain parts of the Indo-Pacific, are the cone snails. Cone snails, there are a few species and they are quite beautiful. And so people pick them up collecting shells. But the little snail's still inside. And that little snail can pack a what? A wallop. A wallop. In fact, they have some of the most toxic venom of any animal on earth. So if you get stung by one of these little critters, it may be the last thing you ever do. So if you are in some location that has geographer cones or textile cones or there's a few other cone shell cone snail species, uh, don't collect those with your hands. Not a good idea. Now, if you are stung by one of these animals or bitten by the blue ring octopus, 
the best advice I can give you is go to hospital right away. <laughs> there's no putting vinegar on it. There's no applying hot water. There's no nothing. That This is a you need to go to the hospital so that you don't die kind of a situation. So thankfully, we don't have to worry about that in the Caribbean. But, you know, if you are traveling abroad, you should be aware of some of the local flora and fauna so that you're prepared for that sort of thing. Because most of these types of animals, the blue ring octopus, the cone snails, these are these are cases where people just don't know better than to just pick up these things. And that's not good. Not good at all. Now let's move on to bony fish. Did you know there were some bony fish that can be a real pain? I know of one that I can think of. And that is what? The lionfish? Yes, the lionfish. And they are a pain in more ways than one. One, they're a pain because they're an introduced species into the Caribbean and Florida that are eating a lot of our native animals. And nothing can eat them because they have 11 very venomous dorsal spines on their back. I have seen lionfish in several different locations. And they are not going to come up and bother you. But if you try and mess with them or if you are fishing and you catch one or something of that nature, you could get stuck. And if you get stuck by a lionfish, you will not die, but you will be in a lot of pain, excruciating pain. The, the thing you have to remember about animals that have venoms and poisons is that there is a purpose for those venoms and poisons. And if that purpose is to protect themselves, often it's not gonna kill you, it's just going to make it hurt because they're just trying to teach you a lesson. Like, don't bother me. If it is an animal that uses their venom to get their food, that venom has probably got a purpose of killing, incapacitating, and maybe even digesting whatever they are going after. And those are the animals that may be more dangerous. Think of a snake. Snake venom is, yes, it is used as defense, but it's also used as a way to get their food. And so that's why it's a little bit more dangerous, typically, than other types of venom. Of course, there are exceptions to that rule all over the place. But I want to talk about the lionfish because they are an important animal as far as being introduced here and, uh, and being an invasive species that is devastating to the ecosystem. There are a lot of spearfishing competitions and recipes and different things trying to encourage people to catch and eat these animals, which is good. Because if you're, if you're wanting to be sustainable when you eat your seafood, Lionfish out of the Caribbean is one of the best things you can do because you're actually being part of the solution just by eating them. There's another fish, though, that's very closely related to the lionfish that people aren't as familiar with, and they're called stonefish. And both the lionfish and the stonefish are in the scorpionfish family. So that's confusing, right? They're all scorpionfish, and they all have 11 dorsal spines that contain that venomous property. The stonefish are really, really good at camouflage. And unlike the lionfish that swim around looking like beautiful turkeys, the stonefish looks like a rock, which is why they call them stonefish. And they sit on the bottom, and you wouldn't even know they're there unless you're really, really looking at them. There's a video I did in Curacao, and I saw the stonefish, and I had to do like four or five passes on film because I kept losing it every time I turned around. I'd swim and I couldn't find it. And finally I got it and got my shots. But they are very, very toxic in the sense of, again, they're not going to kill you, but they are going to be extremely painful. So 
watch out for stonefish. The rule here, again, the preventative here is basically if you see these animals, or if you're in an area where these animals are, just make sure that you're not walking around, touching the bottom, and then you're fine. They're not going to bother you. They're not going to swim up off the bottom and attack you. But if you step on one, they will retaliate, and you can't really blame them for that. I mean, I'd probably do the same thing if you stepped on me. Right, right. I mean, no. I wouldn't sting you. I think you would. I'd probably bite you. You probably would. Now, here's the thing. I could give you some, I guess, medical advice if you are stung by a lionfish or a stonefish. But the reality is you are going to be in so much pain, you're going to seek medical attention because it hurts really, really bad. So just do that. Do that. And one of the things that you need to keep in mind with almost all of these types of injuries is that there is a risk of things like infection, tetanus. So you may need to get a tetanus shot. Uh, you may want to get it cleaned out. Make sure you clean it out. And then if it's if it's a really big puncture wound, you know, make sure that you get antibiotics on there so that it doesn't get an infection. That's probably more dangerous in many cases than the venom itself. And another good example of that is if we switch from bony fish to cartilaginous fish, we're talking our sharks and rays. Let's talk about stingrays. Okay. So stingrays are fairly common throughout Florida and the Caribbean. Um, I see a few different species there, and some of them do like to burrow, burrow themselves, burrow themselves, bury themselves on the bottom, and that makes it really easy to accidentally step on one. Now, if you step on a stingray, it has a barb, a venomous barb, that's on its tail. Depending on the type of stingray, it might be close to the base of the tail or close to the end of the tail. But what's going to happen is when you step on that animal or say you grab that animal or something crazy like that, it's going to flick its tail and then that barb is going to stick you and it's coated with a toxin. So it's going to hurt really bad. Now in most cases, in fact I would say in almost all cases, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to be in a lot of pain. But, as we all know, Steve Irwin, R.I.P., a crocodile hunter, died from a stingray. And that was a very large species of stingray, much bigger than what you will run into typically in the Caribbean. But if you're over in Australia, <laughs> that's where he was. And so they have really large barbs, like the size of a, of a knife. And even our southern stingrays that you'll see at the places where you do stingray encounters, I mean, their barbs can be pretty big. And what happened to Steve is... He got it right in the chest and it went into his heart is, is the story that I've been told. So if you are stung by a stingray, what will often happen is that stinger will break off because it's made to do that. They'll grow them back like aquariums clip the barbs on stingrays and they grow back. Sometimes they even have more than one barb back there. So if if that happens and the stinger is it breaks off. The way that the stinger is made or the barb is made is it has sort of like a barbs going backwards. So when it goes in, it goes in easily, but pulling it out, it snags on all those little jagged barbs. So it's really hard to dig out of there. You're going to tear your skin apart trying to get that barb out. And if it sticks in your chest, then of course there can be other problems. It's like any like stabbing wound. You want to get medical help to get that out because it could start bleeding profusely, which is what happened to Steve Irwin. So what you want to do is wrap that barb with some cloth or something and get to med a medical professional as soon as you can to get that removed. 
Now, if it's a normal stingray sting and you just get stung and it hurts really bad, the best thing you can do immediately is try and clean out the wound real quick with like an antibiotic. But then to get that pain to go away, you want to put whatever was stung in as hot of water as you can tolerate. Now, obviously, you don't want to put it in hot water that's so hot that it burns you. But just like the jelly, hot water is your friend because what it's going to do is it's going to chemically alter how that venom is working. So it may seem like ice is what you want to put on there, but it's not. Hot water is going to help you out. So if you're at a beach or something, there's a lifeguard. They usually know this and they will probably have some access to hot water, hopefully, or they can get you some. And then you'll keep that soaking there for maybe up to 20 minutes. Take it out if it still hurts. Keep putting it in there. And look, I would say with any stingray sting, you should probably go and see a doctor at some point just to make sure that it's cleaned out, that there's nothing left in the wound, and that you don't get any kind of infection. Make sure you've got your tetanus shots and all that kind of stuff. Of course, it's best if you just don't get stung. Now, you've been living in Florida long enough, Kimber, that you should know how to avoid getting stung by a stingray. How do you do it? The stingray shuffle. The stingray shuffle. Tell us about the stingray shuffle. Yeah, so basically, you just kind of shuffle your feet in the sand, kind of slide your feet along the bottom. And, of course, if they know you're there, they're going to move so you don't step on it. Yeah, and it's pretty effective. I have Actually, I have stepped on stingrays multiple times. I've never been stung. But the reason I've never been stung is I've never really stomped on one with a lot of pressure. So I always say you can tell like a Florida person from a tourist when they're doing the stingray shuffle because the stingray shuffle done by the tourist looks like a very, very much like kind of like a uh, forward moonwalk. They're literally dragging their feet through the water very awkwardly. Whereas somebody that lives in Florida and knows how stingrays react and things they will just walk lightly and just make sure they don't pick their feet up and stomp down and you're going to be just fine when i have stepped on stingrays i felt them like even flip and flop under my feet but i've just never been hit because i didn't i just didn't press down with a lot of pressure so normally they won't sting you even if you step on them but if you stomp on them so don't stomp on stingrays don't stomp on stingrays i mean it's rude but don't do it i hope that advice sticks Matt. Now, the biggest, scariest creatures in the sea, of course, we found out, were actually the sharks. And that came as no surprise to me. I know people have these fears of sharks. And, and, you know, there are rare cases when that is justified. But on the whole, sharks are nothing you need to worry about. And as I said earlier, especially in the Caribbean, where the water is warm and clear and the sharks are not looking for you as a food source... The time that you have to be careful with sharks, and this goes into the preventative part, is if you are spear fishing, then you, as soon as you catch that fish, as soon as you spear it, you want to kill it in a humane way and you want to get it to the surface. You don't want to be swimming around with flopping fish on your belt or whatever because that's just like ringing the dinner bell for sharks. And they're not going to come after you, they're going to come after the thing that you caught. But you know what? In the heat of the moment, you're not that different. And so they may accidentally miss the fish and get the leg or something like that. So if you are spearfishing, that is one of the most common ways people are attacked by sharks is spearfishing. The other thing is, of course, what? What's the most common activity where people are attacked by sharks? Do you know what it is? Is it surfing? 
That's right, Kimbra. Whether you use Google, Yahoo, or whatever your favorite engine is, surfing is the most... Wait a minute. No, that's not... That's not right. Water surfing. Water surfing. Surfing in the waves because you look like shark food if you're surfing, like a sea turtle or a sea lion. And you're probably in an area where those animals are living because that's where the best surfing typically is. In the water. In the water, but also in water where there's lots of waves, which tends to happen in places where there are things like sea lions and sea turtles. And so that's where the sharks are that eat them. And they're going to make a mistake on occasion, and that's when people usually get hurt. So if you're not surfing and you're not spearfishing, your odds of being attacked by a shark, especially in clear water, which is normally where we like to cruise and swim, is extraordinarily limited, very low. You have a really good probability of not ever being attacked by a shark. In fact, I will say this, as much as I scuba dive and snorkel, I rarely even ever see sharks. And that's not because sharks aren't around, it's because sharks are shy and they're afraid of humans and they tend to avoid us. The sharks that I do normally see are nurse sharks, which are, in, in one sense, some of the least dangerous sharks out there. However, they're also the sharks that tend to bite people more than almost any other shark because people know that they're not dangerous. So what do they do? They pester them. They grab them. And then the sharks retaliate. You know what I say to that? You get what you deserve in that case. But these sharks that people are typically afraid of, you're not even going to see them. You don't need to worry about them. So don't live your life afraid of sharks. If you get in a vehicle every day, if you do lots of other things that people do every day, it's, it's much more risky behavior than being attacked by a shark, than swimming and being attacked by a shark. It's very, very unlikely to happen. Now, of course, if you are attacked by a shark... Like, Matt, you just said it was unlikely. It is unlikely. But let's say that for some weird reason you get attacked by a shark. It's probably just going to be a small bite, but it could be something much more serious. If that does happen to you, then what you want to do is you want to go to a physician and you want to get it cleaned out and you want to get, if need be, stitches, but definitely you want to have it cleaned. And again, the tetanus thing. So, you know, the interesting thing is that a lot of this marine first aid is the same for these animals. It's usually involves, if it's very serious, of course, you're going to go to a doctor right away or a hospital right away, call for emergency units. If it's not that serious, it's probably going to require something like soaking it in vinegar, hot water to reduce the pain, uh, cleaning it with antibiotics. There are some differences in the different things, but for the most part, those are the basic stuff. And, and if you need more than that basic stuff, you should be going to that doctor to begin with. Which brings me to a very important point. If you are cruising, you should get travel insurance. Now, I don't sell travel insurance. This isn't a commercial for travel insurance. I'm not being endorsed by travel insurance. I just know that if you have to go to the doctor on a cruise ship, it's going to cost you a lot of money. If you have to go to the doctor in a lot of these ports, it might cost you a crazy amount of money. If you have to be airlifted or have a sea rescue on one of these cruise ships, it's going to cost you thousands of dollars. Potentially, we're talking life-changing amounts of money. Super, super high prices. So get travel insurance. It's cheap. 
it does protect you if you, you know, miss your cruise or bad weather. Like it helps you in other ways. It's good to have for lots of reasons, reasons. But the reason that I get it is for the medical thing. I mean, it's much more likely that I would have some other sort of thing happen. Like maybe I would have like a heart attack or something like that on the ship, or maybe I would fall and break a limb and would have to be treated on the ship or have to be treated in a port and then flown back or something like that. Travel insurance is going to cover you. Otherwise, it, it just, just get really expensive. Travel insurance is important. Okay, we'll get some. <laughs> All right, well, that was a lot of information, Kimbra. I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We're going to just call the cruise creature this week all the animals we just talked about or that mostly I just, I just been talking. I feel like I just did a lecture on... Animals, venomous animals. I didn't even get into the difference between venom and poison. Don't get me started on that. But I know so much now. <laughs> I hope you guys did enjoy that, and I hope you guys can use that advice. Again, not a doctor, but uh, if you are in a predicament where you are in pain from a marine creature, maybe that'll help you out. But for this episode, we are going to say goodbye. Next week, we are hoping to get a couple of our fantastic cruising community on here to get their perspective on their recent cruises. I love that we're getting the community involved with the podcast. I can't wait to hear what they have to say. But until next time, I think it's time to go. So bye, everybody, and see you on the ship side. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Well, that was a fun episode. I like talking about toxic creatures. You know, and it makes me want to get intoxicated with some of that stuff. What's that stuff we got in St. Augustine? We got some wine. Wine. I don't know if I want wine. I mean, I got a lot of wine as it is. Well, I want to drink some wine. I thought it was a certain, but there's a certain kind of wine. Didn't we get one that's like... It's a port. A port. It's it's not just any port, though. It's finished with a bourbon barrel. Ah, that's the way to do it. That's important. Oh, Matt. Which port is it? Is it like Cape Canaveral or Mahogany Bay? St. Augustine. St. Augustine's not a port. Well, I guess it is a port. Anyway, we just got a new couch and we got some port and we're going to go watch a movie and and celebrate yeah all right see ya